Another Way to Play, Episode 17. Hey, this is John Burra, founder and CEO of Mammoth Interactive. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is John Burra. He's the CEO and founder of Mammoth Interactive, which is a game, app, and training content company. They have over 300,000 students worldwide and are a leading company in the e-learning industry. As a company, they've produced games for the Xbox 360, iPhone, and iPad, as well as several number one apps for iPhone, iPad, PCs, and Macs. In addition to producing games, they have consulted on a number of different companies on projects that include programming, music, level design, and business development. Recently, Nickelodeon has featured a game produced by Mammoth Interactive. So my conversation with John today was a very interesting one. He's really great person to talk to, has a lot of insights and inspiration uh, that you're going to want to listen out for. Uh, One of the things that I thought was most interesting that he talked about was that you don't get to choose your career sometimes. He started out as a video game developer and then transitioned into apps, but what the market was telling him and all the uh, people he was speaking with was like, how did you make that? Uh, Rather than like, hey, this is such a cool game, he was hearing like, tell me how you did that, how you did this. And as he put it, uh, one or two steps uh, beyond where you are is sometimes the, the opportunity that's right in front of you. So he pivoted and started figuring out ways to Uh, teach people online uh, how he was doing what he was doing. And that has taken them in the direction of e-learning. Another thing that I really think you should listen for is his 10-10-10 rule, which is a way that he in his company talks about constantly making improvements and it's a culture that he's building at Mammoth Interactive. And at the end of the conversation, he gives a piece of advice about learning uh, that I think is going to be really applicable for anyone trying to get into a new industry or just learn a new skill. So keep your ears peeled for that. Before we get into the conversation, just want to remind you that I would love to have a conversation with you personally. So go down to the show notes, get a time on my schedule. Let's have a quick 15 minute chat, get to know each other a bit more so I can learn what is resonating with you, what you're liking, what you're disliking, and how to make this podcast even better. So without any further ado, let's get to it with John Burra. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you coming on as a guest. Pleasure to be here. We've kind of gone through your bio already and and people kind of have a little bit of context of what you're doing now, but why don't you back it up for us a little bit uh, before we get into all of that and and build some context. Where did your journey begin? I was always a huge nerd and I was such a big nerd that I started coding when I was 12 at at my local university. This is back in the day when coding was not cool as it is today. (laughs) So, uh, So I did that and then, you know, over the years, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 17. I taught guitar lessons and I made anywhere between three and five times minimum wage. 
I taught 53 students a week. I've always picked up odd jobs here and there. And in 2010, I wanted to make a video game. And uh, it was it was d difficult for me to get a job because of well, the recession and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, look, I'm just going to intern at my own company and make a video game and then then get a job. So I made a game, but in order to do that, I needed to relearn how to code. So I bought an online course. And what happened after that is I made an Xbox 360 game. And once I did that, my career really skyrocketed. Flash forward a couple years later, um, I had made a bunch of iOS games, and literally when I would show these games to people. Literally every single person would say, how do you make that game? How do you do that? How do you make that app? And I said, well, well, look at this game. It's so cool. It's like, no, no, no. I don't want to know about the game. I want to know about how you did it. And I said, hmm. Well, so I combined my teaching experience with my coding experience, and I produced this huge online course. And since then, um, I started a company since called Mammoth Interactive. We've sold over 700,000 courses worldwide, and we've produced some of the most innovative online tutorials out there. That's awesome, man. I that's such a cool, uh, cool way to sort of sum up the last handful of years for you. What is it about like, like, let's just take it back for a second, because there's there's a lot that's built on this desire to code here, and it's it was clearly something you were interested in the in the beginning. So, what made you decide to learn how to code when it wasn't cool back when you were twelve? Well, that's a good question. So, I had to do something in the summer, and you know, I I would always do like a sports camp, uh, but you know, I said, hey, you know what, I've always wanted to learn to make a video game. Me and my friends were always of the nerdy type to begin with, so. I said, why not? And at the time we had to make, uh, the game was, or the, the coding language that people were really into was Visual Basic. There was kind of like a learn to code movement in the 90s as well. So we made Visual Basic. And at the time, I really wanted to make like a fully 3D uh, RPG in my bedroom with my obsolete computer. And that totally didn't happen. So uh, uh, it was, uh, it, it basically got me coding and it, it got me to set my expectations to reality very quickly. Interesting. So you had this grand idea as a, as a young person learning how to make it all happen, that you were going to make this killer uh, immersive experience. And then all of a sudden you learned like, oh, this isn't quite as easy as I thought. Yeah, pretty much. And what the, the crazy thing is now is the tools are so much better that, you know, if I was a kid today I'd probably get something you know at least out the door but back then it was next to impossible to do and so I just basically made some Windows programs and uh, that was about it. <laughs> you kind of turned this into this sort of desire to make a video game and this passion for for creating virtual spaces in this way into this business like how like talk us through that transition for you when you thought hey like I can actually make some money at this and make a career out of it as opposed to just a side hobby. Yeah. So, um, you know, if we flash back to maybe about 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. there was a big, um, there was a big app rush, I guess we could call it kind of mm -hmm. like a gold rush, but for, for, for apps. And, you know, I was making them and, you know, was making some money at, at it and it was enough plus a few freelancing gigs to kind of pay the bills. But, mm -hmm. you know, my bank account was dwindling, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, you know, it, it was, it was just like on the cusp of, of getting there. And, you know, what I did is, I was listening to basically people around me. And that's like the number one thing you need to do as an entrepreneur. You need to listen to what everyone is telling you, what they want in their product. And everyone said, hey, I need to learn how to make apps. I need to learn how to make games. I said, well, I can do that, right? So um, I, I remember it very, very clearly. Um, it was 2011 and uh, it was Boxing Day. 
Um, and um, uh, for those of you who don't know, Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. <laughs> I was just about to ask, can you, for those of us who aren't from Canada, can you provide, the, provide a little context on that? Yeah, so Boxing Day is this day. I, I think it's a British holiday, actually. And, um, you know, it's the day after Christmas, and usually there's lots of sales. So uh, in, in the past, when retailers needed to get rid of their excess um, inventory, they would have it a day on Boxing Day. And it was because there would be a bunch of boxes on the street. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a big sale day. So I'm, I'm surprised it's not everywhere because people love sales, right? So um, it seems anyway, it was, like it would be a great, great American <laughs> holiday to me. But. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, you can have Black Friday, you can have Cyber Monday. Day, you have Christmas and Boxing Day and then New Year's. Maybe it's too many, too many sales in one store. Maybe it's too much, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so it was Boxing Day and I had almost no money in my bank account. And, you know, I had made a bit of money off of this course and then it got picked up on a couple of deal sites. And I was just refreshing the the income and it was like thousands and thousands of dollars like in, in days. And I'm like, wow, I'm in business now. And then the wow. next year, yeah, I know. And so the next year, I, I made a whole bunch more courses and it just picked up from there. It was like, you know, off to the races. And what, what I learned from that was, you know, I was struggling and I was always producing um, product and I was always getting progress and I, I was always learning along the way. But when, when I got my chance, I really, uh, I really took it. When you say you got your chance, are you talking about like once you picked up speed here or you or or was there like an epiphany, like an aha moment for you that you were like, hey, people really are into this and I can actually take a deep dive and, and make make this into a real company? Like what was that moment for you? So so first of all, whenever something hits wildfire, whether it's like on YouTube or the app store or in business, you kind of have to run with it. That's the smart mm -hmm. thing to do, whether you want to or not. Right. And, okay. and, you know, yep. and, and the people who make the most money run with the best ideas, whether they want to or not. And, and it's funny at the time I was, there was a little bit of cognitive dissonance. It's like, I didn't want to make courses anymore because I've been teaching for so long at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I need to just produce things. Right. And, and I didn't want to do it at first, but the money was just so good. And then I started to produce more. And then I realized that like, Hey, I'm really good at this. And it, it was this weird combination of really good teaching uh, experience with coding and video and adding practical projects, like everything I've learned. And, you know, I, over the time I realized like, Hey, I'm really good at this. So I should continue to do it. That's interesting. One of the questions that I, I ask a lot of guests or that comes up in conversation with a lot of the guests is around the passion component, following your passion in business. And it sounds like you had this somewhat of a passion for a part of this, which was coding and creating video games, but you, you recognize there was this opportunity in the market to teach essentially, as opposed to actually create an end product. Um, and that's what has sort of catalyst you to where you're at today. Um, and following the money, I guess, in this case, follow where the dollar signs are coming from is, is really what led you down this path. And then you've, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's sort of picked up this, this new passion for it and, it, and, and bringing uh, something different to the online teaching world in a, in a different way. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. Um, sometimes you, you don't get to pick your career, right? Um, and this is this is actually fairly common um, along uh, entrepreneurs. If you read a lot of biographies, they they were doing one thing, and then they hopped and just like stumbled into something else, and they really didn't want to do it, but they ran with it, and then that that's what defined their career. You know, there's many different examples of this from different entrepreneurs where they just they wanted to do one thing, and then something ended up ended up happening. And what I recommend is that you know if you want to do something 
And it's harder when you're younger because you have this idealized version of yourself. But if you want to really do something and something else kind of falls into your lap, maybe take whatever it is, like maybe make it a, a challenge for yourself, like climbing a mountain, you know? It's like, hey, I, can, I have this opportunity and opportunities are rare, by the way. Like I have this opportunity to excel in this new area. And if you take a look at it from a work point of view and like uh, your own personal success point of view versus let's say I need to really do this one specific thing, I think you'll actually be happier in the end. Because in the end, I actually, I think I would be a little bit happier if I, uh, well, I think I am happier that I continued along the path versus just making games here and there. As you were talking there, I was sort of reflecting on a previous guest that I've had on the show, Stephen Webster, who um, is also in the digital space, but talk, we, we talked about pivoting because that's such a kind of a tech buzzword. And his definition of pivoting was basically not like I'm going to, you know, sell apples and now I'm going to go over here and create, you know, coding software or something like I am going to um, take a piece of what I do well and then double down on that thing, which is, it sounds like that's what you've done and you've sort of run with it in a big way. Totally. And what I often say is that sometimes success is a step or two away from what you're currently doing. Um, mm. you, you know, and this is, you can, there's many different entrepreneurs that will say the same thing. It's like, you're grinding, you're grinding, you're grinding, and then something clicks and then boom, it just, it just gets, um, it just catches on fire. And, um, what's interesting, um, about, you know, my particular case in this is like, you know, making a video about code was just literally a step away from what I was currently doing. Like, you know, I was coding and I was making apps and games and I would be basically just coding like any day and like, Hey, well, what if I like taught a beginner and just record some videos on how to help people code? I mean, would people be into that? And they, they turns out they were really into that. And, you know, it was just a step to the right. But again, it wasn't like I, I started, you know, scuba diving or something like that's a right. whole different thing. Right. Yeah. Um, a better analogy than my Apple one for sure. <laughs> but um, like staying on, on that, that vein for just another quick moment, because I, I am curious about a couple other things, but if you were talking to some other entrepreneurs who were maybe grinding away at some thing that they thought that they were into, or maybe they are good at, but it's not clicking, um, and, and you were to give them this advice of, you know, your success is maybe only a step or two away. Like what what might that look like? Or have you had those conversations with people in your, in your space or uh, in other spaces? And, and what is some, some way that someone can frame that for themselves and their problem that, that has worked in your, in your world? I do talk to entrepreneurs all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's the number one thing. Okay, so there's kind of two two levels of this. The, the number one thing that I find with especially younger people is that they went to a degree in a specific thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they doubled down on that as a career, but it's, but sometimes you might have had a really good education experience and there's another opportunity that's just a little bit different or requires you to learn more. Right. And you usually see this, I guess, in like the liberal arts, um, you know, they, they got like uh, some kind of degree and they're really good and they're really smart. And maybe they're the top 1% of English majors in the country, but you know, there's another job that has nothing to do with English, but it's something, something related. And, you know, they won't take it because either they a, don't think they can do it or, you know, they want to do, they need to become like a novelist or something else like that. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's called the sunken cost fallacy. You've already mm -hmm. sunk four years into a degree, so you can't waste it. Well, the, the way that I would look at that is that, 
you know, you basically, if you learned a lot and you had fun and you, you know, you did that in your life, the next thing doesn't have to be related, right? It doesn't have to be related. If you get a really good opportunity that's doing something completely different from your degree, opportunities are rare. So I would go ahead and take that. So that's the number one thing I, I see is like people just double down on whatever their degree was. And then if they just maybe spent six months learning to code, they'd probably make more than whatever it is they're doing. That at least they get some kind of work, right? Sometimes people yeah. stay unemployed for a long time. And then the second thing is that if you're already an entrepreneur and you're constantly doing ideas, the, the idea that I like to do is, is you know, you, you try an idea and see what catches, right? Um, you also, specifically since I work in tech, is like anything that's trending will make you more money than something that isn't, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the best way to time it is to get right before the trend happens. But it's very rare that you do that. Um, you'll make the most money if you can do that. But the idea is, is that if you want to get into the next thing, you know, you need to just abandon your ideas and start fresh, right? I, mm -hmm. And it's that sunken cost fallacy. And, um, you know, lots of, lots of entrepreneurs tell you to get your beta out as quickly as possible. Because mm -hmm. if you spend three months on your beta, and everyone hates it, then you can say, okay, well, it's three months. But if you spend two years on your beta and everyone still hates it, that's two years. So you have to get your idea out. And then you can listen to your customers. And that's exactly what I did when everyone asked me how, how to make iPhone apps. Uh, because you guys are like actually creating a physical product, I imagine there's a certain level of, well, a, a digital project, I guess you're not making something physical, but you're putting a lot of time into something that, you've presumably got an emotional attachment to like, how do you divorce that sort of emotional attachment and that sunk cost fallacy thinking into being able to sort of pivot or recognize that there's another opportunity if you scrap all but 10% of what you've just done and, and, and focus on the, on the one thing. Yeah. It, it, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of uh, personal and mental power to do this. And the thing is, is that it gets better over time. And, the way that if you think of it is that, you know, instead of thinking of failure as this complete, you know, one or zero or, you know, completely one way or the other, think of it as like, you know, okay, maybe this project could have gone better in this way. And, but these, this thing was good. And I do this today, you know, every project that Mammoth releases, it never gets a full mark. Nothing's ever a complete success or a complete failure. There's always things that we could, we could have done to, to, make a better product. What I do is actually, I have this 10, 10, 10 rule. And I tell mm. all my employees this here, uh, you know, the, the idea is that you want to make the next project 10% better. You want to make it 10% faster and it has to make 10% more money. Now, the first two things are completely in your control. You can, you can find out what, what you did wrong in the last project and do it better do it 10% faster. And then if you want to make it better, you find out what went wrong in the last project, how you can improve and make it 10% better. And over time, you really do, uh, you really do become proficient. You know, nowadays I can whip out um, tutorials much quicker than I did two years ago or even five mm -hmm. years ago. It took me so long to whip out tutorials five years ago, but now it's, well, it's almost in real time. I can almost do an hour to an hour of time, but it's not quite there yet. That would be the ideal. And, and when you say an hour to an hour, you're like, no retakes, no editing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, so, you know, if you spend, you get an hour out of tutorials for an hour at a time. Um, for me, it's about, you know, two hours per one hour. That's, that's wow. usually where I sit. Yeah. And, you know, shifting gears just a little bit relative to the, the space that you've gone into, I mean, 
digital education is, as we talked about before we started recording, is a huge opportunity going forward, but there's also a lot of players in that market. And it's, I imagine it's not incredibly difficult to just put out some basic tutorial. You need screen share and a microphone probably is about as minimal as it gets. But um, what have you guys done differently that it makes makes Mammoth and the product that you guys put out so so intriguing and so successful. One of the things that I tell all my employees is like, we're a pretty small team, but we end up competing with, um, with a lot of big players. Um, and the way we do that is we try to, um, like I said, we try to anticipate the next trend. And we try to have that course all ready to go. Because a lot of times, especially if you're talking with big players, like um, let's say they want to do some big licensing deal. And, and in fact, I'm actually in talking this licensing deal, you know, um, you know, as the time of this recording, uh, you know, they needed something. And I knew that we have a project that it was, in, it was incredibly on trend or it was just before this trend is going to really blow up. And this one, uh, this one company says, you know, we might want to license that one course or have you um, build us entire course for that. And we're one of the only um, only companies that has a really good comprehensive tutorial on this topic. And so by anticipating that trend and doing things that a lot of big companies are frankly immobile to do, um, we can end up competing. And after selling 700,000 courses and people still come back to our over years, you know, I'll see some of the names that have bought my course eight years ago, still buy a new course today. So people still come back. In fact, um, I think it's like 60% of people who have purchased the course for me have purchased the second one. And that is wow. really amazing. That's that. Uh, I, I don't know what the market statistics are on that, but that sounds fantastic. I, you know, I should know what the market statistics are on that, but, <laughs> but I do know it's pretty good. So um, anything over 50% is, is pretty huge. So people keep coming back and, you know, sometimes it'll be years before I see that person again. Sure. And relative to why they keep coming back i mean what what is it that helps you guys differentiate in a in a market like you go into any of these kind of digital course sites even youtube probably has a bunch of the stuff like how do you not only like differentiate in that paid space but just in general as an education information company and then and then get people to pay you and then keep coming back for more yeah so if you want to think of it like a restaurant there are a ton of burger places, uh, you know, as an example, and some burger, and this is, this is what I tell a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs is, you know, just because I want to set up a burger shack or a burger restaurant, no one's going to say to you, ah, McDonald's has got that covered, right? Burger King has got that covered. You can't compete. Well, that's mm -hmm. technically not true. People will come. If you have just a little bit of a different thing, the market is so big that you can actually make money off of it. If, if you do something just a little bit different, right, then, then the competition, or if you do something a little bit better, like you're, you have spicy curly uh, fries uh, or something that's just different, people will always come back. And mm -hmm. with these online courses, it's kind of like, a chef, you know, I am the master chef and I have employees that, you know, are kind of like my sous chefs. And then we have, um, you know, a specific kind of tutorials that people like, and they come back for, and we tend to, and the other thing that's also kind of successful for us is that we also don't price our courses with a ridiculous number. Like we, our courses are not thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, you, you can spend anywhere between let's say like 10 and, you know, $250 uh, for courses. And we have subscriptions as well on our site. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's really affordable. So if people want to learn something, they can easily come back. It's not going to break their bank. So I would say that we do things in a specific way that 
um, customers love and they come back to it and uh, our courses are affordable. And I think that's the big thing is that, you know, some of these courses are really expensive and it's really hard. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to, um, to get people to pay that amount, although it's good once you get it, but you know, I really want to make sure that everyone that can possibly enjoy our tutorials enjoys our tutorials. When you go to price something and you go to, to put it out in the marketplace, like how do you find that sweet spot between, you know, being low cost, but having to have, you know, thousands and thousands of users to make, make your money back versus, you know, higher cost and, and not needing nearly as many and then keeping the quality where you want it and having your 10, 10, 10 rule apply. Like how do you go about that as an entrepreneur and as a, as a business person? Yeah, now th that, that's a really good question. And it's actually the multi-million dollar problem a lot of these places are trying to solve. Um, mm -hmm. So pricing is a huge thing. And one of the things that, um, you know, is, is generally the $10 um, price floor is, is a good floor um, mm -hmm. in terms of, of courses. You know, we, we don't really sell or make much more money if we were to, to sell at, at five. In fact, we'd probably make even less money if we sold a course for $5 instead of $10. And mm -hmm. then, you know, at the same time though, you, you put it up to maybe 20 or 30 and you sell less, but you still might not make more than if you did between 12 and 15. So the short answer is, you know, you have to have a range of options. Um, you know, anything from a per, a per course, um, price as well as subscriptions and you know and have multiple um you can subscribe monthly or yearly etc or we even do bundles sometimes and there's always a different um kind of customer that's going to buy a different kind of product and so we want to make sure that we offer it and you know some products like with subscriptions some people on our subscription site love our subscriptions right mm -hmm. they uh they just they will absolutely not buy a course they only want to uh, subscribe here and there and other people they need lifetime access to the course so they have to buy it and some people will only buy it in the bundles and other people will only buy on um you know for um our, our yearly subscription uh, etc so it's it's a really difficult um plan but one of the things that i would like to see in the industry as a whole is to charge more by like by weight. Um, so just like if you were to go to a restaurant and order a bigger meal, it would probably cost more. Likewise, if you were to um, have a, um, a course that's 10 hours versus 20 hours versus 30 hours, the 30 hour course is naturally going to be more money than, the, mm -hmm. than a 10 hour course. And that's what I think uh, a lot of consumers, it, it's easy for the consumer to understand. Um, and that's where I'd like a lot of the industry to go. I hear you. Totally. Well, John, you've, you've done a lot of really cool stuff and you've, you've given us a ton of value and I really appreciate all of this practical advice um, and tips uh, that you've, you've shared so far this morning. Um, I do want to ask real quick, there's, you know, I think in uh, definitely in the podcasting world, but just in the general entrepreneurship world, we all talk about our successes and less so about our failures. Can you Give us an example of a time that you had a failure in your business or your career uh, or your life, if you care to share that, um, and what you learned from it and, and why you're glad it happened. Um, okay. Well, I, I, so I have no problem talking about my failures. In fact, I think it's really healthy. So 
there's, there's a kind of person out there that has to be right all the time. And those people should not be entrepreneurs because, you know, in a, in a given day, you can make a wrong move, right? Yep. Um, there, there's a few, there's, I guess I'll, there's a couple things that I've learned about general failures that sometimes the smallest detail can completely derail everything. Mm. And this has happened to me many times, you know, perhaps you sent an email out too quickly, or, you know, perhaps you were on a call and you just said something that didn't quite, um, didn't quite jive with, with the person on the other end. And then they said no. And you have to be really, really careful about your word choice and about, you know, being professional at all times. Um, you know, and even like something, something super small um, can, can really derail something. So that's something you want to keep track of. You can have something, you know, I always say you, it, it, you don't have a deal until the money's in your bank. And I've gone so far up to 99% of the way. And then at the last second, it's, it's caved for some, for one reason or another. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty common. So that's one thing I recommend, um, to do is to really, um, to really make sure, uh, that, um, uh, that you, you're very detail oriented. And in terms of, of a, of a, a failure, my base, so we, we have a pretty big list. It's about 130,000 people. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've really wanted to do, and I got even some feedback on this, um, but I really wanted to produce an entrepreneurship course. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, and it, that, that makes so much sense. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 17. You know, I've set, made up this successful business. I have a lot of good information to tell people. And then I put it up on, uh, on Kickstarter, my entrepreneurship course, and it didn't do well. It completely failed. For me, it, it, I really wanted to make that work. And going back to the idea of like kind of emotional attachment, I really wanted to make this work. And it just didn't perform as well as some of my other, my other products here. So um, that, that one, uh, I, and I, what I realized from that is that a lot of people who buy our course really want the technical details. And if I really want to go into that, that entrepreneurship one, I have to separate my list and the people who really care about that stuff. So my, my business has get, gotten to the point where it's so big that I need to uh, separate my, uh, my audience into different sections, uh, which is a good thing to do. But, you know, I can't, um, the people who want to buy coding courses don't necessarily need an entrepreneurship course. They just want to buy our coding courses, I guess, if mm -hmm. that's one thing. And on that note, um, and this is really specific and in, in terms of advice, um, and yes. especially if you're in the tech here, uh, we actually did a course about soft skills. And if you've ever been around coders or worked with coders, you know that soft skills are lacking in a lot of ways just to be, can you, uh, to be polite. Sure. For those of us who aren't in that space, can you define soft skills real quick? Yeah. So soft skills is kind of like interpersonal skills. It's like, ah. uh, you, you, yeah. So it's interpersonal skills. It's, um, you know, just kind of manners would be a, a very broad term of that. Okay. But, um, so, um, with, and for programmers, you're, you're at a computer all day, your code isn't working. So you're frustrated and then you get up your computer to go to the coffee and then you take it out on the intern or something. Right. Uh, you know, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, all the people that I know who are really successful, like really successful, have the absolute most amazing soft skills, um, you know, soft skills that put me to shame, really, right? They just, they know how to smile all the time. They know how to phrase everything. And, you know, this is something that I, that coders need. Like they absolutely need to just be sat down for a second and say, look, if you go through this two hour course, you're going to have an amazing career. Just, you know, something like, you know, how to act in a promotion meeting right? Like mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, coders could do because, you know, again, um, I get it. You're in front of a computer. 
your code hasn't been working for a whole week now and it's super frustrating, but you can't yell at people like the same way you yell at your computer. And so we, I did a soft skills course and that also completely failed. In fact, it was for specifically coders and I thought there would be this huge market for, um, for coders that wanted to take it and for businesses that wanted to license it. And it, the, it was probably one of my worst courses I've produced in the last few years. And wow. it was, it was, I know it was that bad. And I, I thought it would be huge. And, you know, and, and even today I get, um, I get off. Well, I get asked, do you have any soft skills, um, uh, uh, soft skills courses? And, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, they end up not, uh, they end up not licensing it or whatever, but that's just what it is. Well, I also, would imagine that a course like that in particular would need to be taken or purchased by somebody who has enough awareness to realize that a they need this and b they're willing to like change because learning a skill of coding is very different than like learning interpersonal skills it it I, I, it twings just such a different chord in your brain and it's like you know one's a skill it's like i'm either good or i'm bad and the other one's like I'm either a good or a bad person. I think that's a, a tough thing yeah. to, to get people to admit, right? Yeah, and, and I completely agree. So going back to my analogy of one step to the right, sometimes if you take two steps too far, you get complete failure. So it's like, it's that fine line of, of what, what they need. And, you know, personally, I, you know, if, if I were to go back when I was, let's say 18, I had no soft skills, like zero, you know, I mean, I, I'm the kind of person just sits in his, his room all day coding and, and doing stuff. Right. So, you know, I had zero soft skills and I really, and at one point in time, I'm like, you know, this is, this is hampering my career. And then mm -hmm. I actually got a job at Starbucks and, <laughs> and this was actually a really big thing for me because, you know, Starbucks forces you to smile, whether it's four o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so that job at Starbucks, taught me how to, uh, how to be very personal with people. And I would absolutely say that if I didn't have that job at Starbucks, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's, it's crazy. But, um, uh, you know, if you're young, like, and you want to take a job at Starbucks, I'd highly recommend doing it. If, and you will get so much soft skills training there. And if you just apply what they, they say to you there into your career as a technology oriented person, yeah, you'll be more successful than if you, you, you didn't have it. That's really fantastic advice. Um, I'm in, in sales and have been for a long time. And everyone always talks about like either going into a retail sales environment or uh, go knock doors, you know, for, for a solar company or, or alarm system company. And you'll learn, you'll learn some pretty good interpersonal skills real quick. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the same kind of thing. And, you know, if you throw yourself out there and you, you know, it's just like, you know, doing a cannonball in the deep end. You'll learn to swim back <laughs> one well, way or another. Ho hopefully you'll come back, but mo most people do. <laughs> yeah, most people do. And, you know, that's the thing how you learn the quickest, actually, is if you just dive in deep and concentrate on, on a goal. Well, that is really fantastic. We're getting, I want to respect your time today and, and we're getting to the end. But before we finish up on the final round, I want to ask one more question because there's, it's been kind of twinging at me since we started. Um, you're in, you're in uh, online education and I know that you're, you're creating a lot of really cool courses, some that are really awesome and some that are clearly aren't, are falling on some deaf ears here. But if you had an opportunity to create a whole semester worth of curriculum for every student, um, the way I have it phrases in America, but maybe also in Canada, we can bring in Canada to this. Um, what would that course be and, and why would you create it? 
So like uh, a course for everyone or just for like computer science majors? Let's say the general population like of students somewhere between, you know, uh, junior high, high school, like somewhere in that formative age range of, you know, 12 to 18. So I think the number one skill to learn in the next decade, because 2020, as, as of this recording, is, is very, very close. I think the biggest skill that you need to learn is how to learn something quickly. And, mm. you, you know, and I had this when, like, even 10 years ago, you know, there would be a job posting for X software. And I didn't know X software, but I probably could have got that job if I did. So the, the world changes so quickly. And if you know how to learn a skill, and get proficient at it enough to be hired, then you will end up making more money. And this happens, especially in tech, right? Like if, it, if a new coding framework gets released today, then there's literally no one that knows how to use it other than the people who created it. So if you can learn that framework really quickly, and if it's the right framework to, to, to learn, then you, just by the laws of supply and demand, will be more hireable. Now, this doesn't have to be coding languages. It can be something, uh, it can be some kind of skill. If you can learn a skill and be proficient at it enough quickly, then you'll be hireable. And that's the thing, that's the course I would teach. Learn how to learn things quickly. That is a freaking awesome answer. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, with that, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and transition us to the final segment of the show called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Definitely excited to hear your answers. Are you ready? Ready. All right. What is uh, one book that you have gifted the most? Gifted? Hmm. Um, I would say Deep Work by Cal Newport. That's, Deep Work? That's, yeah, that's my favorite book. I have not read it. I'm going to put it on my, on my reading list right away. Absolutely. It will change your life. Awesome. Well, it's going up the list now all of a sudden. Your, your recommendations just climbing the ladder here. Um, if you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Um, let's see. Past or present, live or dead, if I could ask anyone any question. Hmm. You know, if I could just get an hour of, let's say, Bill Gates's time, that'd be perfect. Mm. Yeah, I, actually, Bill Gates would be the number one. Yeah. Hour of his time, I think it would be a great session. I would have to agree with you on that. They just put out that Netflix series about him, though. So maybe you can uh, get a little shortcut on that one. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't checked it out, but it's on my to do list. Likewise. Uh, what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Soft skills are important to learn. <laughs> I, 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 especially if you're a coder. Uh, I yeah. Mean, yeah, I, I think so. I think that's probably the one thing. Interpersonal skills. Like, like to, I always say to understand people is to understand the world and, you know, the, I, I, I don't mean to totally derail this here, but I had a, a professor in college who uh, was a communications professor, but he said, you know, he hated the word random. And that was because nothing is random. Everything was created by somebody for a purpose. And, you know, whether it's computers or the way something's built or a desk or whatever, it's all sort of on purpose. And um, to understand that purpose is to understand almost everything. And I, I totally agree that when you understand people, you will understand or be able to succeed in this world completely. Uh, yeah, that's great advice. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? 
All right. So, um, so I have two kids and they, um, they sleep mostly through the night, but I had a, my second kid earlier this year. And normally I would wake up, like I wake up at four, between four and let's say six, but let's say average five. I love waking up at five, getting a morning coffee and just getting right to work. Right. I'm most productive in the morning, but because I had the kids and like they would not sleep, <laughs> that mm -hmm. has been completely derailed for like the first nine months of this year. So, um, so normally I like, I have to deal with a bunch of baby, uh, baby tasks, but generally now that I'm back in the swing of things, wake up at five, get my coffee, get to work and then work all day. That's what my morning routine is and try to focus as much as possible. I, I, which is really hard to do even for someone like me. Totally. Well, uh, pre congrats on the kids and uh, good luck and, and congrats getting back to your routine. I'm sure that that was not an easy thing to get back to. Yeah, my kids are surprisingly good sleepers. Some some kids don't sleep, but my kids are sleeping through the night. So that's awesome. Sounds like you got you got lucky on that front, at least. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, so to round this out, John, what is the best place that we can find you the most online? So the best way to f find out what we're doing is just follow us on Twitter. Um, Twitter will have all of our products that we're releasing and every uh, bit of news that we're doing and all the cool courses and cool products that we're releasing in the future. So Twitter is the best way to, to go. So Twitter, and what is your Twitter handle? Uh, at Mammoth Company. At Mammoth Company. I will link that in the show notes. And before we uh, sign it off here, what do you have going on in the future relative to your courses or your company? Like what, any, anything exciting that we should be looking out on Twitter for? Sure. Um, so uh, as of now, we have a Kickstarter uh, called the Complete Machine Learning Course for Everybody. So machine learning is really tough even for coders because a lot of things that you, that coders normally do are kind of flipped on its head. So Machine learning is tough. It's tough for everyone. And I wanted to put together um, a course, and it's actually a bundle of courses uh, that can teach machine learning to everyone. So whether you want to sound smart in a meeting or you need to upgrade your skills, it's going to be the, the uh, complete machine learning course for you. And you can check it out on Kickstarter. It's a limited time, so you'll be able to get it at a discount. With that, uh, next year, we're going to be doing a lot of machine learning boot camps. These are online uh, and they're all day where you get to, uh, you get to basically come uh, to an online uh, section. I get to talk about machine learning. We can build some, some projects in there and uh, you can ask as many questions as you want. So I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. And then um, I will link to the Kickstarter as well in the show notes. And then just real quick, uh, relative to the courses and the, and the boot camps you're putting out, um, you know, obviously there's, there's the coders or the people who are really, really technical, but what if there was someone who was, had an interest in this or needed to learn it at a, at sort of a more executive level or just a, a sales level? Like, is that something that they would be able to get value out of as your boot camps or your course? Absolutely. So uh, the thing, the thing about machine learning is again, often I see programmers who've been doing this for maybe five, 10, 20 years, and they get to a machine learning problem and they don't know what to do. Um, so uh, what this course is supposed to be is supposed to be, I can take anybody off the street and explain machine learning to them. And that means uh, for people that are in the business executive world too, because, you know, if you understand how machine learning works, you'll understand how much time it takes to do this stuff and how, mm. what the process is. Right. And that's also like, we also have some people that take our courses for that. They don't actually want to code. They need to figure out the process. And I talk about this a lot in my courses, you know, specifically our games courses, you know, we tended to build the art as well as the game. And, you know, if the game art takes 10 hours 
and you're a coder, you, you understand how long that art takes and the artists aren't just being lazy. Like it literally takes a long time for them to do it. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we try to, uh, so with this, you'll be able to, uh, if you're managing people that are in machine learning or if your company is using machine learning, then you'll be able to manage it in a, in a better way and you'll understand what's going on and you'll be able to understand what's possible because, you know, machine learning now is a great tool, but we're not at the point where we have, you know, digital robot or robots running around um, acting exactly like humans. Like that's not what, what this is. It's, you know, think of it like, think of machine learning like, um, like a car assembly plant, but on the software side where these robots have very specific things to do, but they can do them insanely well and at insane um, uh, capacity. That's really cool. I, I really appreciate that explanation and, and the fact that it's more, uh, it's open to everybody, not just the coding community. Cause I think, you're right. Like having that technical understanding um, on all sides of the business is going to be really crucial if, if it's going to be integrated into your business or your world in some way. Totally. Um, you know, Elon Musk is the reason why Tesla is doing so well is that he knows how to do everything. And, you know, if you've ever managed people and someone or they come back with a quote and say, this is going to take four months. And if you're a coder, you're going to say, wow, that should not take four months. It should take four weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that if you are in, like, if you are managing coders or, you know, there's coding in your company that you should probably at least understand to, to, to some degree, that way you can just, I think you and your career and well, basically your products that your company is going to produce is going to be better. Well, this is a perfect opportunity for anybody to go learn about coding, machine learning, or whatever other thing they need to learn. Um, go check out the show notes, uh, hit, hit them up on Twitter. Uh, there you're going to find all the information that you need to there and uh, some of the great courses and packages they're releasing here in the near future. John, really appreciate you coming on the show today, man. It's, it's been an honor and a pleasure and, and you've really brought, brought some heat today. So uh, thank you for being such a great guest and I look forward to having you on sometime in the future. Absolutely. It was my pleasure too. And that does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, John is a really fascinating guy. And if you want to connect with him, uh, go follow them on Twitter. You can find out everything that they have going on uh, over there. They're, they're constantly and actively tweeting out. Um, and then also their website, mammothinteractive.com. Dot com. Uh, both of those are linked in the show notes. So if you want to connect with them or see what kind of uh, products and services they're putting out, you can find it there. Uh, and while you're in the show notes, remember to look for my Calendly link. I'd love to get you on the schedule so we can have a chat, get to know one another a little bit more. And uh, hopefully I can pick your brain a little bit about uh, how to make this podcast a better experience and, and more uh, valuable to you. So without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Struzina host of Another Way to Play, and remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.